Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. No my Haramai Kiara and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Inika. Kiara Inika. Kiara Alison. Well, this episode is a look at the best books of 2022. And our annual Auckland Library's Top 100 has just dropped. Um, it's available on our website and printed copies are available at our local libraries. So we just love the Top 100. Uh, it's a bespoke <laughs> list uh, that's been carefully curated by a group of Auckland librarians. It includes some of the most talked about titles of the year. Those are the, the books that have generated quite a buzz. And as we all know, the, the quality of writing in Aotearoa is just extraordinary. Yeah, and sure this has. is, yeah, isn't it? It just better and better every year. Mm. And this is reflected in the large number of New Zealand titles in our top 100. Just over a quarter of the titles are by New Zealand authors. And half of these authors are from Tāmaki Makoto, Auckland. So there's 13 Auckland writers in the list. Just which is phenomenal. It's wonderful, isn't it? And now most of the top uh, 100 titles are available in multiple formats. And this is great for all you ebook fans out there. There's something, there really is something for everyone on this list. So we'd love it if you browsed the hottest books of 2022. Perfect for lazy days at the beach. Mm-hmm. Now, we were looking through earlier today, Inika, and we noticed that there's some topics running through the top 100. Uh, (laughs) Three that we pulled out, we've got goats, Paris and Samoan culture, Mm -hmm. but also strong themes of strength, resilience, hope, humour and possibility. Oh, lots of possibilities in these books. (laughs) Well, now today we're just going to give you a selection of short reviews from this year's Top 100. We won't be talking too much about books we've already reviewed. We'll be talking about some ones we haven't reviewed, and then we'll leave you to explore the rest in your own time. The first review for today is Better the Blood by Aotearoa author Michael Bennett. Uh, It's a 2022 publication. You'll find it in literally every format, thank goodness, because so many people want this book, and rightly so. Now, Bit of the Blood, it's hard to review this absolutely amazing book without spoilers, but I think that I can pretty safely say, as it is in the very first scene of the book, um, that it starts um, immediately following a horrible historical crime and then takes a jump forward to present-day Tamaki Makoto. Our main character is Detective Hannah Westerman. She's a top cop and she's a single mum of a bright, politically active and occasionally wayward teenage daughter. Now, Hannah has made her way up through the ranks since the late 70s when she started off as one of the only Māori women on the force. By the time we meet her, um, she's working in a senior role at Auckland's Central Investigation Bureau. Her ex-husband is also now her boss. He's been promoted above her, so she's actually got a lot going on in her plate. When she receives an anonymous video that leads her to a hanged body behind a false wall and a mysterious symbol painted in blood sitting beside it, she's drawn into a case that's going to drag her back to her past. It takes her back to her first experiences as a young Māori policewoman who was working uncomfortably in that that area between two worlds and cultures that 
certainly seem irrevocably set against each other. And then even further back into the bloody colonial history of her hometown. Now, I literally could not put this book down. I had mm-hmm. to read it from cover to cover in one sitting. I don't want to tell you too much about it because um, there is there is a lot of um, spoilers I could easily drop. So I'm just going to say that it's a fast-paced police procedural. There's heaps of action, some jump scares in the mix, and this is uh, there's a really seriously compelling underlying message in this book that makes it unique from others. Um, it tackles the tensions of being Māori and contemporary Aotearoa, and it tackles them head-on. And as those long-reaching aftershocks of colonisation roll on, um, certainly this is an area that we haven't seen too much in um, in New Zealand fiction in terms of the crime genre. So we are really, um, really keen to read more like this. Now, the author um, is um, uh, Michael Bennett. He's also a journalist. Um, he is from Ngāti, uh, Ngāti Pekao and Ngāti Whakaue. Um, he is um, the award-winning author of the 2017 non-fiction true crime title In Dark Places, which unveiled the stories behind Taina Porter's wrongful conviction for the murder of Susan Burdett and the personal fight for justice that led to his release that um, Michael himself was personally involved in. So Better the Blood is his fiction debut. It was released in September of this year, 2022, and it was snapped up and successfully um popped into multiple international markets where it's already um, um, getting fantastic reviews and is now making huge waves on the local scene too. Now, after many years of white men and women dominating the crime fiction market, Bennett is joining a raft of rising Indigenous and Black author superstars uh, in writing in the crime genre, um, such as S.A. Crosby, Stephen Graham Jones, Walter Mosley, Attica Locke, and many, many others who are creating compelling crime stories that draw deeply on the histories of their own people and cultures. Um, Something that connects these authors is that, um, you know, they look at how historical and contemporary law policies and practices um, have historically and still today continue to tilt the scales of justice um, in various directions at all levels and on all sides. And the more we hear from these sorts of authors and hear their stories, the more we want to hear. So our message today is that Lee Child needs to move over and make some more room. (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. Here, here, and um, the the books that you, you're talking about, the ones that need to um, move into Lee Child's spot, mm. they have a real depth um, about them, and it makes them very, very satisfying reads and and challenging too. But it's good; it's good to be challenged. Absolutely. Let's hear some new stories. Yeah. Great. Now, um, also um, in the crime genre, got a New Zealand book called The Doctor's Wife by our very own Fiona Sussman um, and just published in 2022. Now, this one is a perfect beach read and it's part of our top 10 reads for the beach. Mm-hmm. Now, the New Zealand listener recently called this one uh, one of the best books of 2022. And I've got to say that we agree with them on this. Mm-hmm. Now, The Doctor's Wife, it's a psychological thriller set in Auckland in the East Coast Bays area. And it's a story that sees a stable group of friends in their surrounding community destroyed by illness and an unexplained violent death. Mm. Now, the book has a 
a large cast of characters. I, I like to eat about the book. Now, one of uh, the main characters, uh, Stan Andino, he, he's a nice guy, but kind of unremarkable in many ways, which is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> um, so Stan's married with two sons and he lives on the North Shore of Auckland. But nothing in his life could have prepared him for the day he discovers his wife Carmen in the living room of their home wearing nothing but a black apron and bleaching out a stain in the carpet that only she can see. Mm -hmm. It was very, very disturbing and unusual. So... um, A CT scan a week later provides some explanation and it's devastating. Carmen and Dino has a very large brain tumour. So as Stan and and his teenage sons grapple with the the devastating diagnosis and, and frightening personality changes in their wife and mother... Another character, Dr. Austin Lamb, who is the family's close friend and the local family doctor, does everything possible to assist the family in crisis. Now, Austin Lamb is the GP to just about everyone in this close-knit suburb. Mm. I sort of felt reading it that he almost gets too involved with his patients. But anyway, Dr. Dr. Lamb always has time for everyone, no matter the time of day or night. And so Austin and his wife, Tibby, are best friends with Stan and Carmen. So Carmen's condition worsens and her symptoms cause more and more unusual and disturbing behaviour. So in months later, just when it feels as though life couldn't possibly get any worse for the Andinos, the body of Tibby Lamb is discovered at the bottom of the Browns Bay Cliffs. Oh, dear. So... As it turns out, Carmen and Tibby had been walking buddies for months. Tibby had felt that it was a a really good way that she could help Carmen, basically by getting her out of the house for some exercise every morning. So, of course, Carmen is the number one suspect in Tibby's untimely death. And this close-knit community has found... Uh, Carmen guilty way before the police investigation has even begun. Now, fortunately for, for Carmen and Stan, the two detectives assigned to the case are prepared to look below the surface. So even though Carmen is a suspect, is there anyone else who might have had a motive to kill Tibby? Or was her death an accident? Or was it self-inflicted? Lots mm. of possibilities. So as the investigation progresses, we learn more about the small Browns Bay community, basically who was doing what to whom and why. And um, we learn of illicit relationships and other dodgy dealings going on beneath this facade that you would see of a stable, prosperous community. Now, um, unusually for me, I was pretty sure that I'd worked out who the perpetrator was with still a couple of chapters to go. But (laughs) even so, um, I was still really hooked right to the end because I wanted to know the why of this and the how. You know, why did this happen? How did it happen? Um, And I wondered actually afterwards if this is perhaps what the author wanted her readers to experience. I'm I'm not sure on that. Mm. 
But I'd have to say that The Doctor's Wife is an absolutely enthralling page turner. It's got great character development, a wonderful sense of place, which is our, our lovely North Shore beaches, and a fascinating backstory. Look, I highly recommend this book. It's a, a great addition to our growing year noir genre. And I think New Zealand crime writing is equally as good as the Scandi noir scene. I think so. They need to start looking uh, looking behind them and looking at us nipping on their heels. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, um, also, uh, two t- other titles that are in our top ten beach reads, um, The Ghosts of Paris by Tara Moss and The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. Two other great reads because, and the other thing is, who doesn't want to spend a summer in Paris? Oh, especially with this weather. <laughs> I know, yes. <laughs> I'd rather have the snow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Even the, a Paris winter or a Paris summer. <laughs> Anything will do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now, um, moving on, what I'd wanted to talk about now, this is a, a great one from our top ten non-fiction list, and it's called The Last Resort, a chronicle of paradise, profit and peril at the beach by Sarah Stradola, and it's just published 2022. Now, I found, and I'm always like this, as you know, Enika, um, as a reader, I was immediately drawn to the cover artwork mm. on the book. It was a the, um, it's such an attractive cover. You get a vintage look at a white sandy beach with overhanging palm trees and there's a luxury yacht anchored in this azure blue water. Um, I, and it made me, the cover made me think about the Netflix series The White Lotus oh, for any it. listeners who've been watching that. <laughs> now, also, as I was reading this book, I found that I had Joni Mitchell's song lyrics um, from Big Yellow Taxi running through my head. I'm sure that I'm aging myself as I say these words. Um, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've lost till it's gone? They paid paradise and put up a parking lot. Mm. So, um, yeah, so getting back to our feelings about the beach. Now, um, the beach has had a hold on our our collective imagination um, as the ultimate paradise with its promise of escape from the stresses and strains of everyday life. It's always been a thing. So, and in this book, The Last Resort, the author dives into the, the psyche of the beachgoer and gets to the heart of what drives humans to seek out the sand and the sea and the sun and the surf. So, we get a really good history. It's a thorough history, actually, of beach going. So, and some of this I didn't really know, I must admit. So, the Greeks and, and Romans very much enjoyed the sea, which you could imagine. But um, by the Middle Ages, the Europeans wanted virtually nothing to do with the beach. And then in the 1800s, the, those early seaside vacationers were lured by the potential health benefits rather than a love of surf and sand. Mm. And um, what the world today thinks of as paradise is um, not nature. It, paradise is a nature conquered, nature tamed. This is according to the author. Mm. Now, the book's beautifully photogenic um, and it's got lots of entertainment. Um, and uh, the book may or may not include a real beach. <laughs> I'll leave our, our readers to discover that. <laughs> so um, the... 
We could say really that the reason the um, author shifts uh, focus away from from the actual literal beaches is partly one of necessity because climate change is making the maintenance and preservation of modern beaches as we know them basically untenable. We've got overdevelopment of tropical areas in order to accommodate skyrocketing numbers of tourists. This frequently pushes the resources of destinations to the limits. Then we've got rising water temperatures, erosion and increasingly frequent and violent storms. All of this threatens the very beaches and communities where these amazing resorts are located. So this is a book that highlights the darker realities of resort culture, the strangleholds on local economies, reckless construction, erosion of beaches, weighty carbon footprints, Mm. and the inevitable overdevelopment and decline that comes with, you know, when you get a soaring demand for popular shorelines. So we get um, Sarah Stodola's first-hand travel notes weaved in with her investigative journalism and and it brings a, a, to the book a, a real fascinating report on the, the past, present and future of coastal travel. We go from Monte Carlo where the pursuit of pleasure first became part of the beach resort experience and we travel to a village in Fiji that was changed irreversibly by the opening of a single resort. We go from the overdevelopment um, that stripped Acapulco of its reputation for exclusivity. And we go from there to Miami Beach, where extreme measures are underway uh, to prevent it from vanishing into the ocean. So um, it's such an interesting, interesting book. Um, we, she brings us um, right up until the recent past where mm. the COVID-19 pandemic gutted international travel and highlighted weaknesses in the tourism industry that have, have long existed, um, and particularly the over-reliance on tourism as a source of income in, in destination countries. Mm. And so she's calling really for a more intentional way forward if the beach vacation is to continue. But And beach travel is such a big part of our globalised world. Um, so we really have to decide what will our, what's our last resort going to be when global warming and um, sea level rises really bite. Um, so this book, it's a thorough analysis of how we made paradise, how we paved it and how we might begin to save it. It's oh, a wow. really, really interesting book. Sounds so interesting. I'm definitely putting this on my list. I can think of a number of people who would love to read this. Yeah, it was a great one. Now, look, I'm still at the beach um, <laughs> for this next one. This is just a, a fairly quick review um, from our top 10 illustrated nonfiction book list. Um, and this one's called Women Making Waves, Trailblazing Surfers in and Out of the Water by Lara Inzig, just published. Now, this is a coffee table book full of the most amazing Amazing photography. And our author, Lara Enzig, lives in Venice Beach, California, which I imagine is a 
great place to observe or be part of the surfing culture. Mm. And once again, I was drawn to the, the book by its cover art. Uh, look, it's a, this is a visually stunning explanation of female surfers from around the world. We've got profiles of 25 inspirational women and we've got over 250 photos showcasing these women's favourite breaks, boards and lifestyles. This is a visual celebration of surfing as seen through the eyes of women from America, Sri Lanka, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand and beyond. Mm. Um, it, um, these women are breaking new ground in the worlds of surfing, environmental protection and their own professions. And they invite you to come along with them at Dawn Patrol at their favourite wave breaks. We get candid interviews on the, the challenges and rewards of a life spent surfing, plus this amazing photography featuring the surfers in their own homes and at their local surf spots. Um, the aim uh, of the book, according to Laura Enzig, was to inspire the next generation of women to take to the water. Now, I've never learnt to surf, and they, they do say it's never too late, so reading this book has made me want to add learn to surf to my bucket list. <laughs> That's so I'm funny. Laughing. It's on my bucket list too, has been for years. Maybe we should do it together. <laughs> yeah, and I just jostle each that. other into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, my next review is going to be um, a book from our top 10 for book clubs, which is my favourite list in the entire top 100 because I love mm. to read books, but I also love to talk about them as you may have picked <laughs> up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm reviewing True Biz by Sarah Novich, and it was published in 2022. Now, I read True Biz back in June, and I'm still thinking about it at this end of the year, so I thought that this was definitely a deserved entry into our top 100. We've got it in our top 10 for book clubs list because it provides valuable lived experience insight into the deaf community. I'm sure it would provoke lots of interesting conversations in a, in a book chat, and it's just generally a really wonderful read. Our main character, Charlie, is a 16-year-old high school student. Now, Charlie is deaf, and although she's been fitted with a cochlear implant, in fact, a series of cochlear implants, it really hasn't been the fix that her hearing parents were hoping for. Her noisy mainstream classroom and then the ongoing tech issues that she's got with the implant are leaving her with ongoing migraines, heaps of frustration, and a sort of growing sense of isolation and and disengagement from her, um, her life, really. So when her parents finally decide that they're going to shift her to a specialist boarding school for the deaf, which is um, luckily in their local area, Charlie has to learn American Sign Language from scratch, along with a whole new way of moving through the world. The headmistress of school, February Waters, pairs Charlie up with one of the most popular students at school. His name's Austin. And Austin uh, is deaf himself and his entire family is deaf and they have been for five generations. So in the terms of the deaf community locally, they're kind of like hashtag life goals. Um, they get to live the life um, that, that many in the deaf community would like to. Um, in a world of their own making. But what Austin doesn't know is that his own family is about to be dealing with their own personal reckoning um, with deafness and hearing, the intersection of deafness and hearing. We follow Charlie as she learns not just the, you know, the signs of American Sign Language, but the slang the, and the expressions of the diverse deaf community. 
she also is learning at the same time how um, how to ride the rough waters of adolescence and also how to better communicate all the feelings that she's been bottling up for a long time and and can't, you know communicate those feelings to those who are most important to her. So her mum and dad who are divorced and so there's sort of like ongoing tensions and different um, around the choices that are made for Charlie by her father and her mother, um, her friends from her old school. And um, her new friend, Austin, who soon moves from being Charlie's kind of mentor and guide at the school to much more. Cue, cue the romance. Mm. <laughs> now, behind the scenes, um, headmistress February is facing her own crisis. Unknown to the rest of their local community and to her wife, the, the deaf school's state funding is being threatened and the environment of education, care and empowerment that they have managed to build up over generations of deaf students could be lost for good and not restored. So as February stays up late advocating for continuing support, trying to go through all the books and find savings and look for alternative funding sources, she's also um, updating, uh, she's keeping a positive outlook and trying to update the school's lesson plans and resources for students for the following school year. Now, these resources are actually included um, as little markers between each chapter, and they give both Charlie and the reader this kind of wonderful overview um, of the history, language, culture, and contemporary hot-button issues that are being grappled with by the deaf community in the States, um, and probably worldwide, and of course, those the differences that um, and inequalities that can can happen. Mm. Um, particularly a hot button issue is around um, the use of adaptive technologies and whether these should be used, whether they should be improved, whether they should be discarded altogether. Mm. Now, this book was an absolute revelation to me. Um, it's a beautifully written, fascinating mix of a coming of age story and an exposition of the external and internal issues at play in a community that I must admit was was pretty closed to me, or I hadn't made the effort to to find out more about it. So this this book has um, made me dive a lot deeper um, than I ever had before. Um, the author, Sarah Novich, is a member of the deaf community herself. Um, you may remember her book, um, Girl at War, from 2015, um, which was um, quite highly acclaimed. Um, her lived experience is absolutely vital to this story. Um, it's a it's a heartfelt story, but it's and while it has its sentiment, it's not overly sentimental. It really highlights the community's ongoing challenges and the huge strength and resilience of its members, both as a collective and um, on a personal and individual level. So I highly recommend Troopers by Serenovich. Thanks for that, Inika. I haven't read it yet, but you've sold it to me. I'm going <laughs> to put my name down for that right now. <laughs> That's great. Hey, um, I want to do a, a couple of, of quick mentions now. Um, we have a list called the Top Ten Graphics for All Ages. So um, I've got a graphic novel that I just briefly want to mention. It's called How to Take Over the World. Oh, that sounds good. Practical mm. Schemes and Scientific Solutions for the Aspiring supervillain and it's by Ryan North and it's just published so this graphic novel it's about world domination and the science of comic book supervillainy because taking over the world is a lot of work as as you and I know and um, any supervillain is 
bound to have questions like what's the perfect location for a floating secret base? What zany heist will fund my immoral plans? How do I control the weather, destroy the internet and never ever die? (laughs) So now a best-selling author and award-winning comics writer Ryan North details a number of outlandish villainous schemes drawing on known science and real-world technologies. His explanations are really fun and informative, but they are completely absurd as well. (laughs) He instructs readers on on how to take over the world. He reveals how we can also save it. So that's a cool thing. So this is a sly guide to some of the greatest challenges and existential threats facing humanity. And it accessibly explores ways to mitigate climate change, improve human lifespans, prevent cyber-terrorism, and finally make Jurassic Park a reality. So look, I highly recommend this. And Enika, I can picture your teenagers getting a kick out of this one. Yeah, I think they would love this. Hey, look, I wanted to um, honourable mention for two books from our top ten for teens. The first one is Indigo Moon by our very own Eileen Merriman. And this is book one of the new Eternity Loop series. It's a bit like The Hunger Games, but features a new generation of protagonists with even more deadly challenges than um, Katniss Everdeen and Co. ever faced. (laughs) And also in our top 10, this is an amazing book. It's called, uh, or top 10 teens, sorry, um, Tracks of the Missing by Carl Merrison and Hakia Hustler. And this is a gripping First Nations thriller set in the rural outback of Australia. I loved this. It was great. Highly recommended. Four quick picks from our top ten for kids section. White Sunday by Latia Fuata, a beautifully illustrated story for kids aged three and above, which takes us into the home of a Samoan family on the special day of White Sunday with love, food, merrymaking and adventure. And Matu Lulu by Lani Went Young. It's a collection of fun fantasy stories inspired by Samoan legends and mythology. And Lani Went Young, of course, is the award-winning and best-selling author of the Talesa series. We also have two wonderful books about goats, one by Paula Green, Poetry Queen, and one by a picture book called Goat on a Trampoline by Amy Harrop. So check those out too. Yeah, and Paula Green's one is called Tales of Hedgehog and Goat. Yes, lovely early chapter book. Now, look, we wish we could talk about all 100 titles, but you'll find some reviewed in our oldie episodes. But um, otherwise, visit our website, aucklandlibraries.govt.nz slash top 100 and our overdrive list. And also look out for flyers in the libraries this summer. Well, look, that's about it from us. Um, to our loyal listeners, we love you bunches, long time. Thanks for tuning in today and joining us for the wrap of this year's best reading. Take care and be kind to yourselves. Hi, Ra. Kakite Ano. 